Well, if you were with me last week, you know that we talked about uh, Peter and this encounter. The disciples are encountering Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them about if your brother sins, or in the Luke version, if he sins against you, you're to go to that brother, and, and then if he repents, and if he doesn't repent, take two or three, and then if you still doesn't repent, bring it to the church. That was the passage you heard last week, and we, we talked about that. But this week is the follow-up to that because like all good adult learners, Peter has been listening intently to Jesus and he's analyzing and trying to put into practice what Jesus has just said. And you remember, Peter has a brother, Andrew, who's right there. And uh, I know they're apostles, but they were also brothers. So we know they had some conflict. And so perhaps Peter is thinking about Andrew and he says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? And Peter thinks he's being very, very generous. He says, seven times? And Jesus says, not seven, but 77 times, or in some translations, seven times seven, 70 times seven. And there's a reasons for that discrepancy. But, but regardless if it's 77 or 70 times seven, that's a whole lot of times. And Jesus' point is, you're not to keep a record of wrongs. You're to forgive your brother without limitation. Now, I can tell you that I have been through some very painful um, moments and relationships in my life. A number of years ago, I won't say anything specific about it, but someone betrayed me horribly and it hurt me deeply. And I, I'm a nice guy. You know, just ask John Harris. I'm a nice guy. I don't have any enemies and yet this person sought to become my enemy to make me his enemy, and, uh, and it was very, very painful. And so this morning, as we talk about forgiveness, please don't think I'm just sort of up here saying what pastors are supposed to say in the pulpit. I know how hard this is and how deeply some people can hurt us, especially those who approach us as friends, which I think is the reason why in the passion of our Lord, it is Judas who is near to Jesus who betrays him, because there is no wound like the wound of somebody who's very close to us. Nevertheless, this is what Jesus puts before us. He he responds to Peter's question because it's on the heart of Peter, and it's on our hearts as well. Lord, how, how long do I have to go? How many times do I have to repeat this process? My brother or my sister sins against me, and I go, and I say it to them, and and, and if they say, oh, I'm so sorry, I won't ever do it again, and, and then they go back and do it again. How many times? Well, first of all, let me say a couple of clarifying things, because I don't want these things running through your minds throughout the entire sermon. First of all, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Jesus, in his example in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, is saying, if your brother sins against you, go to your brother, and if he repents... You've, you've gained your brother, you've gained your sister, you've gained that relationship. That's reconciliation. But there are sometimes when we will, we will come to people and say, you've hurt me deeply, and they'll say, tough. Or, no, I didn't. Or, well, it was your own fault anyway. Or whatever they might say. And, and that is not the same thing as reconciliation. But forgiveness is our releasing of that person. It's our saying, I'm not going to keep the wrong. I'm not going to be bound up by this. Somebody famously once said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping that the other person gets sick. All we do is harm ourselves by holding on to unforgiveness. But that is not the same as reconciliation. 
And I'm not suggesting that there are some people who are unrepentant in your life for sins they've committed against you that you should restore relationship with them. I'm simply saying we need to all be challenged to forgive them. To forgive them. Well, Jesus understands how difficult forgiveness is and he, uh, he responds to Peter with the, the parable that you have there that I read a little bit ago. It's a pretty famous parable. I think pe- most people are familiar with it. And uh, it's told in Luke as well. And Jesus begins to explain, as I, as I, as I said, that what this means about forgiveness. And he, he, um, he gives him this interesting, um, interesting story about, um, about a king who forgives a, a servant who owes him a lot of money uh, or a master and then another servant that comes along. And so you know the story a little bit. Remember, parables are, are stories from the common practice. They're, they're things that are very common, so they can explain things that are very complex. Forgiveness, sin and forgiveness is complex. So Jesus uses parables. Oftentimes, remember also that parables have a punchline, like a joke. They have a twist, the thing that's unexpected. And you'll see the, you probably already see the, the, the twist or the punchline of this parable. But just to give you a little bit of information, a talent was the largest monetary value in the ancient world context that Jesus is, is working with here. A talent would have been about 20 years of wages for an average worker, a day worker, you know, which obviously you know, is far lower than other people, but, but it's, that's just kind of a way of, kind of a standard of thinking about it. So if you're working at McDonald's, that's 20 years of work. I don't know why I said McDonald's, but anyway, um, but it's 20 years of work that we're talking about there. So that's a lot of, so when, when Jesus says that this, this one servant had owed the master 10,000 talents, that's, we're talking about 200,000 years of labor, of the common laborer. So that's working at McDonald's for 200,000 years. I mean, I cannot think of anything worse, right? 200,000 years, that's a lot. So we're, that's the amount of money we're talking about here. So, so, this, that, so you need to understand that. You also need to understand that the second servant, the, the, the servant who is not forgiven the debt of the fellow servant who just received this amazing forgiveness, I mean, that's like the, the, we're talking about like the, the you know, 10,000 talents is like the, 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 the national debt, all right? That's just the kind of amount that we're talking about, an insurmountable amount uh, of money. And, and Jesus intends to be, you know, hyperbolic here. He, he intends to be speaking in hyperbole because he wants to make them understand how incredibly large this debt is that this guy's been forgiven. Now, a denarii was not un... un you know, unimportant, a denarii would have represented about a third of a year's work of an average worker. So that's working at McDonald's for four months. Plenty enough. I worked at Hardee's for about a year, and let me tell you, I'm glad that I don't work at Hardee's. That's why I work so hard as a pastor, because I don't want to go back to Hardee's. But four months is a long time, but it's nothing compared to 200,000 years, right, of work. That's, that is so much more that it's almost like joke, you know, it's just a joke to think about trying to compare the two. And yet, what does Jesus do in this parable? And here's the punchline. Here's the punchline that Jesus gives. This, this wicked servant who's just basically won the lottery is unwilling to turn around 
and forgive a relatively small amount of debt. Now, it's not minuscule. It's not $10. You know, working four months is nothing to laugh about. That's a lot of money. But you've just received an unimaginable amount of forgiveness. How can you then turn around and, and hold this person responsible? Remember that Jesus is talking to, he's responding to Peter's question, the real question Peter's asking. Why would you not forgive? Well, there's no real reason unless you just don't at all get how great a debt you've just been forgiven. Now, you can make the argument, well, you know, it's like I've been forgiven this incredible debt, but I still don't have any money. So I need that four months worth of wages in order to live off of. So, well, it's okay. But, but you've just been given an unimaginable amount of debt forgiveness and you can't see it any way in your heart to at least work with this guy, right? He didn't even try to say, well, pay me back when you can or, you know, I've, I've, I've come into some good fortune here lately. Let me. He just throws him into jail and says, I want you to be judged for this and I want you to have to pay every penny. Well, Jesus is getting at the question that Peter is, is really asking below the question. How is it possible, Jesus, for me to actually forgive somebody who has offended me, who sinned against me in a, in a major way, in a significant way, in a four months worth of wages kind of way? Not little baby forgiveness, but I'm talking about serious things. How can I possibly do it? That's the question that, that, G, that Peter is asking Jesus. How do I let that debt go? How do I quit talking about that thing? How do I show mercy and just let them off the hook? And Jesus, in response, gives this parable. The realization that Jesus wants to bring in mind is that until anyone recognizing the, recognizes the overwhelming sin debt forgiveness that they have received, they, they, they truly come to understand the gravity of their own sinfulness, their own brokenness before God, and then understand that God has forgiven them that debt there is no possible way that you can begin to do it. It requires you not to focus on the sinner, but on the Lord who has forgiven you. Now, there's, there's two responses that I find normally among people when we talk about this idea of that we are sinners, that there is, as the old prayer book used to say, that there is no health in us. One of two responses. One is just people go beyond that and go, you know what? I hear all that, Alex, but my sin is so great, God couldn't possibly forgive me for my sin. I've heard people, many people say that to me. I, I, I can't let God just let me off the hook. I've done too many things. I can't believe God would forgive me all of my sins. I will tell you that's probably the minority response. The majority response is, I'm not that bad. God should give me a break. I've been a pretty good guy. Who is God to tell me that I'm a rotten, miserable sinner? That I have no health within me? That, that I am 
utterly unable to, to stand before him and call anything that I do righteous. Every good effort that I've made, who is he to say that every good effort I've ever made is tainted with sin and that it's not in fact that my righteousness is, is filthy rags. This I find to be the majority response and to be the chief problem with being a pastor. And if you want to know why not to ever be a pastor, it's because you have to stand in front of people and convince them that they're a bigger sinner than they think they are. I'm looking at Karen because Karen's in the process of, of discerning his own call to ministry. And, and that's hard. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nice guy. I want people to like me. I, I enjoy talking about the love of God and the, and the, and the glory of the cross and the resurrection. And, and we're, we're talking about that this morning as well. But, but, but the reality is that... that that what Jesus communicates in this parable is that this one servant has a, a debt to be paid that is impossible to pay. The, the servant cries out just like this majority response and says, give me some more time, master. I, I will, I'll make this debt right. Yeah, how are you going to pay off 200,000 years of work? Explain that to me, right? There's, not, there's no impossible. But, well, let me, just, let me just work on it. It's interesting, uh, Ben Kwashi, who's an archbishop in Nigeria, I was reading something by him this week, and, and, and Archbishop Ben says, he says, you know, think about the rich young ruler. And I had never thought about this. You know, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, he says, what, do you, what, what must I do to be your follower? And Jesus says, sell everything, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the young man goes away sad because he has so much wealth. But, but Archbishop Ben makes the point that this young man should have cried out to Jesus, Jesus, I have a lot of wealth. And I have no, I have no way of, I don't know how I could just give it all away. Will you help me give my money away so that I can come follow you? But what does he do? And I love the way Archbishop then says it. He says, what does he do? He thinks that he has to do it on his own. And that's our problem. You see, if, if I can add something to salvation, if I can do something to earn God's favor, well, then I can, sac I can keep a little bit of pride for myself. I don't have to grovel and humble myself to the point of saying, there is no health in me. And yet, what does Jesus tell us in this parable? You and I are that servant. We owe 200,000 years of labor and none of us will live past 120, and I'm being gracious there, right? So good luck, even if you make a lot more money than the average, you could never pay that amount of debt. And so it is for the sin debt that we owe. It's, it's, it's beyond comparison. This With our Wednesday night Romans class, um, Paul talks in, in Romans 1 about the, the glory of the, of the gospel of Jesus and he's not ashamed because it's the power of God for salvation. And then right after those wonderful verses, he says, the wrath of God is poured out against man. And I'm telling the class, I don't know why Paul starts in such a negative tone. Why are you taking us to negative town, Paul? Well, because until we understand how grave our sin problem is, we can't possibly understand how great his grace is. Amen? You see, that's, that's the point. It's, it's not, the, the point of Jesus' parable is not work harder, you know, try harder, or look at what Jesus did for you. You can't forgive your sister. Have you ever had that pulled on you, you know? You know, 
He's like, Jesus died on the cross for you and you cannot, and you're going to hit your sister, really? Or you're not going to forgive your brother for that? Jesus died on the cross for you. You know, this is not what, this is not what's going on. Sometimes our parenthood, and I appreciate you parents, I understand, you, you get desperate. You're looking for everything. I'll throw Jesus at them, see if that works. But that's not what, that's not at all what Jesus, he's not trying to guilt us into being good, into forgiving. Jesus is drawing out the realization that until we see the glory of God, a God who had absolutely no reason to show us grace and mercy, just like the master towards the servant. And yet, because he knows the servant can't pay the debt, forgives it, cancels it, then we will never understand the kingdom of God. Now, I've purposely rushed over the parable, you notice the way the parable begins. We talked about parables back a few back in July with in back with the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God, Jesus says. This is the kingdom of God. It's a God who forgives an infinite sin debt of every human being. And to grasp that and to know the glory of the grace of God, which is poured out chiefly in his mercy on undeserving human beings, you'll never begin to understand how a person could forgive a significant sin against them. This is big stuff, you guys. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like. He's saying, Peter, I know you're struggling with this, but until you fully understand the glory, you're not going to get it. We focus on the second part of the parable, but it's the, it's the first part of the parable that should capture our hearts and minds, and that's the point. That's the punchline. If you're having trouble forgiving someone for the sin they've done against you, don't look at the person, look to the Lord. Be willing to admit that, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. I have the faith to believe that there really is nothing in me that is righteous before you, and yet you chose to die for me on the cross. And believe that because Christ died, he could forgive that sin, and because he is the Son of God, he would rise from the dead, showing that he had the power to transform your life. And that, that's the power of transformed life. That's what Paul was talking about back in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by, by recognizing the glory of God in his willingness to forgive us at the cross and believing to confess that he is Lord. And so not to be like the young, the young rich man saying, well, I, I, I can't give up all my money, so I'm leaving to say, Lord, I, I don't know how to give up my money, but will you help me? Because it's my God and I can't imagine trying to give up that money. It's not a coincidence that Jesus uses money a lot in his parables, you know. I mean, it hits home, doesn't it? It takes, the, it takes the complex and he makes it very practical. When we think in terms of debt and debt forgiveness and extending debt to other people or forgiveness to other people. I've run through my notes. I don't know where I am. Well, here I am, so... The reality of the kingdom is this. 
Why, why, why is it so counter for, for this servant to then turn around and not forgive the debt? Because the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of God, when we understand the grace of God, we not only forgive the people, begin to learn how to forgive. I'm not making it easy. Remember I said before, but we want to learn to forgive people. But in fact, we begin to beseech the master himself that he would give these other people a break. You know what I'm saying? That we would begin to say, Lord, please don't hold that sin against that person. And our prayers of the people, we don't only, we don't only pray for the, for the persecuted church, but we pray for those who persecute them. It's Christianity that has a, a corner on this market of forgiveness. You know, we, we, this, is, this is a paramount to our faith. This is front and center that, that we are called by our master to love our enemies to forgive those who willfully hurt us and persecute us. I don't think I was ever so moved is when a couple of years ago, Jody and I were a group of pastors in Gainesville. We were allowed, the same pastors I've been working with over the last few years, we were allowed to go watch a movie that Steph Curry produced called Emmanuel. And it was about the, the Emmanuel Nine, the, the nine uh, African Methodist Episcopal members that were killed, murdered by the young man who came in with a gun. It's about five years ago. He walks in, shares Bible study fellowship with them. They welcome him in. And then after the end of the Bible study, he stands up and he begins to shoot people randomly. He didn't know any of them. White young man, hatred in his heart, killing nine African Americans and wounding others. But the most powerful part of the story is to go to the scenes they shot from the courtroom. As not every, but some of the victims' families said to the young man, because they were given permission by the judge to speak to the accused, and what you heard them say was, I forgive you, and I am praying for your salvation. I'm praying that you will know the love of God and that you will understand that the love of God is greater than the hate that you've displayed towards the person that I loved. Friends, that is only knowable if we've experienced the grace of God. And I know it's a bummer to hear that you're a sinner, but it's true. You know, I'm just, maybe I'm just well aware of my own flaws and brokenness, but you know, I, I don't have any problem saying that there is nothing righteous within me. Apart from the grace of Christ, I am done but in in the glory of God's grace he has forgiven me and because he's forgiven me I want to extend that grace to others even when it's hard even and I I told you an awful betrayal and hurtful and if I told you what happened you you would be mad at him too but I've come to forgive him and to even begin to pray for him. Not because I'm so holy, but because God is so holy and merciful and graceful. The word that the parable uses had pity, had mercy on the servant who forgives the huge debt. It's the same word where Jesus says he looks out on the crowds and he has compassion on them. 
He suffers with them. He understands that they can't bear the weight. And so he sends his son Christ into the world to bear his wrath, his righteous indignation against sin, to bear the weight of our sin, to take it upon himself, to die in our place. Peter, how can you learn to forgive your brother not just seven times, but 77 times? You gotta look to the grace of God. Two things I'll say practically, application-wise. One is there's a book that, that I'm so glad to see Ramona here. We, Ramona and the Women's Bible Study recently went through called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall, Total Forgiveness. I highly recommend that book. This is a process. This takes a while. But it begins by admitting that you need to forgive. Secondly, I, will, I, I learned a prayer to pray that I've used with lots of people as a pastor, and I'll just share it with you. And It's, it's not hard to remember, but you basically say, you, you say, this person sinned against me. I did this with my political enemies last night, by the way. <laughs> the people that I consider to be political enemies, the people that I am mad at at a national level, right? I, I plug their names in, but you can do it with anybody, but particularly personally, I think it's important um, what they did mattered, and it hurt me very deeply. God's forgiveness doesn't mean that he takes, he's shallow or uncaring about our pain. It mattered, and it hurt me very deeply. But then you say, but I choose to forgive them, and I ask you to forgive them. And then if you have the guts, and I ask you to bless them, and I ask you to bless me. Now, the first time you do that, because I've done this with a lot of people, it will just be because you know you're supposed to. But spiritually, there is a breakthrough in that moment. You humanize that person and you recognize that they're just another servant with a debt that they can't possibly pay. And God will begin to give you the desire to forgive them. This morning, who do you need to forgive? I don't mean just the politicians or the people that, or the, whoever your bad guys are, but who personally do you need to forgive? Who is the Lord waiting to help you, release you from that poison that will bring no good effect in your life? And in fact, prevents you from really understanding the grace of his love and forgiveness. Let me pray for us. Father, this is, this is tough stuff, Lord, and, and it's so clear through all the readings today how much you care about community. And Lord, you know we are so capable of hurting each other. And Lord, we, we just pray that, that we as Christians once again would, would claim our right to this rock bed of, of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. And that we would practice it. And that through it, Lord, you would transform us. And that people would see. And that they would be changed. That they would reach out to you because they see, Lord, that you give us the power to even forgive our enemies. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. 
Pour out your glory, Lord. Reveal yourself. You are so worthy of praise, honor, and in fact, all of our lives. Help us to see that, Lord. Give us the faith eyes to see that. In Jesus' name, amen.